An Order for Compline for the evening of September 13th, 2020. The Lord Almighty grant us a peaceful night and a perfect end. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Let us confess our sins to God. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault, in thought and word and deed, and in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses, and grant that we may serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Almighty God grant us forgiveness of all our sins, and the grace and comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The psalm today is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins and heals all your infirmities. He redeems your life from the grave and crowns you with mercy and loving kindness. He satisfies you with good things, and your youth is renewed like an eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all who are oppressed. He made his way known to Moses and his works to the children of Israel. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and of great kindness. He will not always accuse us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so is his mercy upon those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our sins from us. As a father cares for his children, so does the Lord care for those who fear him. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. 
But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe me. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave, as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. This morning I want to do something a little bit different than I usually do, and that's focus in on Paul's letter. Someone asked me once, why don't you preach on Paul very often? And my answer is often because he writes in such a convoluted way, it would take me hours to untwist that one little passage and bring it home with it. But this, story, this morning's passage is a little bit more concise. There's a little bit of background to it that I think is worth noting because as you read this passage, you realize that there's something going on in the Church of Rome. There is some sort of conflict. And if you delve into it more deeply, what you begin to realize the conflict has to do with how one practices one's piety. And as I look at this passage, I begin to ask myself the question, does this also hail back to the story in Acts, where Peter and Paul come together in a mass meeting, the first true synod or convention of the church, and they begin hashing out what it means to be freed from the law, especially within regard to dietary laws. And so as I read this passage, I see that argument happening within the church of Rome, and when we look at the dietary laws and the issues of piety in terms of what we eat and what we don't eat, also in terms of days that we observe and days that we don't observe, very often what we're talking about at the root of the issue is one's identity and the corporate identity of the congregation. And what I see going on in this conversation with Paul this morning is this reality that a church is beginning to experience its growing pains. And as new people come in to an established congregation way of being, it begins to develop conflict. And how do we begin to develop with conflict when a confluence of people come together, all with different understandings? all with different ways of being in terms of their relationship with God. In this, morning's God. in this morning's reading from Romans, what we're beginning to see is the conversation that I suspect is between those who came into the Roman church initially as Jews, 
who understood Christianity as sort of more of a enhancement of Judaism, and those who are coming in through Paul from the Gentile world. And the problem that they're facing is the Gentiles don't hold the dietary laws and the rituals to the same height as those who are perhaps the original members of the congregation. And as the two begin to come into equal numbers, there is this fight that seems to be taking place over who are we? What is our identity? And for us today, looking back on that, we say, isn't it silly that they argued over what somebody should be eating? And I thought that at first until I thought about the fact that being the son of an Italian-American mother, I understand through that heritage that food is as much a part of our identity as my mother's last name was. Because those of us who grew up within an Italian household understand that religion and food go together. And there is nothing, no day out there that I don't think that within the Italian culture, there is not a religious holiday that is not somehow associated with food, especially for this man who grew up under the Valentino family and discovered there was a food related almost to every holiday there was on the calendar. So food, dietary practices, how one's wor one worships, is all part of the corporate identity. But that identity in terms of Paul's Roman church is now being challenged and having to be reworked. And then we have within that structure, and it's very clear from Paul's discussion at the end about judgment, based on how you worship, how you understand the laws of Moses, how you lead your life in accordance with them somehow plays into the power structure. And there's a lot of judging going on because we hear Paul say to those who are weak, who are still confined to practicing the law, and I don't think he means it from a judgment standpoint, but I think he is taking it within the terms of those to whom he's speaking, who are able to say we don't need all of those trappings in order to worship and understand and live the life of love that Christ has called us to. But there are still those who need that. So how do you deal within a congregation when identity is up for grabs and is evolving and trying to find its own way and the power structures that once took place and were were held to are beginning to crumble. And what Paul does is calls the people to what truly is important, what truly unites us. And basically what he says to the people is here, we are through Christ unified. And our unity doesn't come basically through how we necessarily practice but who we hold as Lord and Savior and our ability to lead our lives through that lens. 
he is clear with the people that it's not about one over the other, but it is a both and situation. And basically to the one who needs to fast, who only eats vegetables in order to feel in sync with God, that's okay. And to those who don't need that, that's okay too. But unified as brothers and sisters in Christ, we accept each other and accept that we are unified at the very base level, that which is important to the core of who we are, and that is as Christian. In Galatians, we hear the statement that there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, Greek nor slave. And when Paul says those things, what he is saying is that within the power structures of Roman society, in the church, all truly have a place at the table if they profess Christ as Lord. And we as Episcopalians know that as part of our heritage and understand exactly where Paul is going. For if we look at our own history, we the church of the Via Media, have been blessed with the wisdom of Queen Elizabeth I. That when the Protestants and the Catholics of England were arguing over the theology of the church, especially that of the understanding of the Eucharist, Elizabeth stopped the argument cold by saying, I'm not going to worry about this or that. It's going to be a both and. And for those of us who were raised with the 28 prayer book, you notice I didn't call it the old prayer book, or the original prayer book, but the 28 prayer book, we remember that when we received at the communion rail, we heard these words, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, Christ, body, and Father, you can correct me because I'm not good at this line, Christ's body broken for you, take this in remembrance of him. And what Elizabeth did by combining the two communion statements is combine the understanding between transubstantiation and real presence, Catholic versus Protestant, and said we as a broad and open church, unified by our English heritage and by our love for Christ, will bring the two together and live in harmony with one another. And that is truly what unity is about in Christ. It's not about the winning of one over the other, it's about each of us coming to understand where our common root is in Jesus and beginning from there to accept each other, that we live in commonality through the love of Christ, not necessarily whether we agree or disagree on what is on the surface, because the core of what's important to our existence in unity is Christ himself and the church. And in this world that is so truly broken and divided, we can't open up a newspaper without knowing that. It becomes the role of the church to demonstrate before the world what true unity and love looks like. And the ability to be in community to, despite our differences of opinion. And as we who are called today in this most divided and broken nation to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like and to be the beacon of hope that unity can once again prevail if we allow ourselves to understand where we are united at the core 
and mostly where our differences lay, are not really all that important in the end. Amen. Keep us, O Lord, as the apple of your eye. Hide us under the shadow of your wings. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, hear our prayer, and let our cry come to you. Let us pray. Be our light in the darkness, O Lord, and in your great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may be in all things, direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, Give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen. Guide us waking, O Lord, and guard us sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Lord, you have now set your servant free to go in peace as you have promised. 
For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations, and the glory of your people Israel. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Guide us waking, O Lord, and guard us sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Almighty and merciful Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen.